0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Surma Pod. This is the podcast for the Sports and Entertainment Risk Management Alliance, Surma I'm the founder and CEO of Surma Rich Lankov. I'm also the host of the Surma Pod. And as we enter our, uh, what, second block of 50 Surma Pods in um, a short period of time, we're really pleased to uh, deal with a very topical Topic That is, athletes benefiting from name, image, and likeness deals, and in particular, how that applies to foreign athletes. And our very special guest dealing with that subject, he's been quoted on this subject in many media outlets, including one recent uh, interesting article at USA Today. We've got Gabriel Castro, who's an immigration attorney, focusing in on sports and entertainment at BAL, joining us out of Los Angeles, California, this morning. Gabriel, thanks so much for joining us on The Sermapod.
1: Uh, thanks, for be, uh, thanks, Rich. i Rich. happy to be here. Happy to discuss this very important topic uh, for foreign student-athletes in, in college sports.
0: Really appreciate What caught my eye on this story, uh, Gabriel, uh, as a Canadian myself, as a Canadian immigrant to the United States, uh, I was uh, I am a big fan of Zach Edey. Hopefully, he'll be leading our Canadian Olympic team to a gold medal this summer. This is the best chance we've ever had in meddling in Canadian basketball. We've got an all-star team. Um, you know, guys like R.J. Barrett and, uh, of course, Zach Eady and, let's see, Lou Dort, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Lots of great Canadian basketball players um, actually beat the U.S. team uh, in the games earlier this year. So Zach Eady hopefully will be the centerpiece of our team. He's from Canada. Uh, he is the reigning uh, NCAA men's basketball player of the year. He is now a senior at Purdue University. He was ranked He helped his team get to a number one ranking last year, entering the NCAA tournament. They were upset, of course. They've held the number one seed many times this year, um, and he's the centerpiece of that. He is the first player. He was the first player last year as a junior in NCAA history to record. Let me just make sure I have the right numbers. 750 points, 400 rebounds, 70 blocks, and 50 assists in a single season. I'll tell you, Gabriel, I play basketball, too, and we're kind of on opposite ends of the Canadian basketball spectrum, me and Zach. But he's also 7'4", nearly 300 pounds. What's interesting is that, as I mentioned, he decided to forego his senior season or forego the entry to the NBA draft and stay in school, I should say, and forego what would inevitably be a really lucrative NBA contract. He would have been a top 10 pick, a lottery pick for sure. And he could have made him, you know, millions of dollars in that contract. Instead, he stayed in school, presumably to lead his team to an NCAA championship. Well, that's not such a big trade-off these days, right? As we know in the NFL, lots of players, including, you know, number one pick this year, Caleb Williams, there was some discussion that he would forgo the draft and stay at USC because you can make more money in some respects staying at USC if you're a stud like Caleb Williams and entering the draft. Zach Eady. Um, could make some money in an NIL deal, and multiple NIL deals, but for the fact that he is a foreign student athlete. Let's pick it up there. Why can't foreigners like the Canadian Zach Eady avail themselves of NIL deals like his American counterparts can?
1: Rich, that's a great question. And I, I, I do want to disclaim here that he can avail himself of NIL deals. It's just very, very specific limitations on how he may be able to do so. And, and in that USA Today piece, they talked about how in order for him to take take on those NIL activities that his domestic counterparts are, are participating in, he has to leave the country, go back to his home country of Canada, and he'll be able to do active work towards these deals. Now, um, all this leads back to, uh, of course, the passing of the NIL uh, or NIL being allowed in, in college sports. Uh, when the NCAA released the statement on this, they had, not as many rules as you know it's it's very open-ended it's uh, the Wild West I've heard many many experts speak of it and it's the same thing for for this this issue of issue of immigration and it, the NCAA's released a statement they, they specifically said and this is okay if it's okay with your immigration status they didn't really get in the detail and for the record they really shouldn't it's not their job to say what is a good and what isn't a good in immigration status and so so instead what you did see and actually they responded pretty quickly, uh, is that uh, Department of Homeland Security, the section that is involved uh, with student uh, status, not just for student athletes, but all international students across the United States? Uh, they quickly released a statement that says, "Okay, hey, we see that the NIL is going to change what what it means to be a foreign student athlete in the United States, and we're going to release uh, some some updates soon on what that will mean for for those athletes." That was August September 2021. And that was the last time we heard from them on the subject. So right now, uh, we're still left in limbo. And, and a little bit of background of what, what that is, is that, of course, the international student rules and regulations have been around for a very, very long time. Uh, a much longer time than the NIL rules are. And in fact, they probably weren't written with the, the thought process of what it even means to be an international student athlete. They, they were focused on international students and the, interna- the international student experience. And because of that, um, they have very strict limitations on when people can come to the United States as an international student and work for U.S. employers. Now, uh, those limitations, very few exceptions apply. And quickly, uh, us, us in the immigration field, when we saw NIL, NIL come through, we said, oh, that counts as work for U.S. immigration. Or that, that counts for U.S. work for U.S. employers. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, will they violate their international student status if they take on these NIL deals? And long story short, in the majority of the cases, if the work is being done in the United States, it would be a violation of their status.
0: So if, if Edie, in this case, signed a deal to you know, sell his jersey or sell his likeness or his autograph or whatever deals are being made at the student athlete level, and he did so
1: physically in the United States, that would be a problem. perhaps. Uh, So it's it's I I tend to differentiate between what would be active work and what would be passive work. Mm. Right. And so the the question is, is there even labor being done? Right. It it doesn't violate uh, an international student status if you are merely signing a contract or negotiating a contract or any part like that. And so if he is signing his likeness away, if it is just to sell jerseys, he signs a piece of paper, somebody else designs the jersey. He never looks at it again and he gets a check for it. I I see that as passive work. He's not doing any work. here. But if he if part of that NIL deal includes promotional appearances, if it includes signing autographs, shaking hands, if it includes, uh, you know, a a photo shoot wearing that jersey, that's when it's going to violate his status. He can't accept that deal unless he's going to be doing all of that work outside of the country somewhere where he's legally, legally authorized to do that work.
0: That's really interesting. So it sounds like it's still a bit of a gray area, given how new NILs are and the definition of whether doing that constitutes actual work um, or or passive work. And we'll put that aside for a second. But, you know, the logic, Gabriel, behind these rules are what? Uh, That students are granted the right by the U.S. government to come here simply to, you know, simply to learn and not to work. And is it that they would be taking jobs away from, you know, similarly situated Americans if they were working? Is that part
1: of the deal? That is somewhat the thought process. I think what you're really going to start seeing, what what the focus really is, is uh, trying to avoid people taking advantage of the system. That Mm -hmm. is coming in and and sort of uh, nominally attending classes in order to work in the United States. And so the the focus really isn't on the international students themselves, but the program being uh, committed to the international students and not allowing it to be abused by others. I see. And does it matter... Is there only one type of
0: student visa? I know when I came here, I had a, I think it was a J-1 perhaps. Are, are there different types of student visas and would the rules apply differently with regards to this type of work?
1: Uh, there are different types of student visas, but the majority of them are very limited and very restricted on how, how you're going to be able to work outside of your student student uh, participation. Uh, You are going to see um, like the J-1 where you are allowed to work in certain circumstances if it's research or working with the university. Similar on the F-1 student visa, you're able to work with the university, you're able to work on campus um, and you're even able to take on certain training in your academic field. But it's pretty hard to argue that, you know, signing autographs, posing for photos is, you know, somehow training and marketing when really it's it's, you know, it is essentially part of the sport and not part of the, the student experience.
0: So as we talked about earlier, Purdue made a trip for an exhibition game in Toronto and Edie accompanied them and actually signed a deal during his two days there uh, with a company called DAPS to, um, you know, sell off. I think some of his merchandise, perhaps I don't know the, all the details of the deal, but um, that did not violate any of the rules you're talking about because he was outside of Canada. Is that true?
1: I mean, outside of the United uh, States. States. Yes, no, absolutely. And that's, uh, that is the key, right? He's not barred. Uh, U.S. immigration law cannot restrict work work outside, done outside of the country. It's specific to what's going on here. And especially if you're Canadian, it's actually very convenient. You can go right over to Canada, get that work done because you have work authorization as a Canadian citizen in your home country is it so simple for the australian players that were playing women's basketball at, at nebraska absolutely not is it is it is simple for the players that need to go, go home to africa for that work authorization you know the, the, all of the, there's a lot of complications here and that Zach, is actually in a very very good situation in the sense that not only can he cross the border i mean indiana's right right there we're, we're pretty close to canada um, but also, he's making a fair bit of money in the NIL space. He's, he's uh, estimated to be making almost a million dollars this year alone uh, in NIL deals, and um, that allows him. I mean, in that situation, he was traveling with the team. But it wouldn't really be be that much for him to take some of that NIL deal, uh, NIL money and put it into a place where he can go and accept the money, fly to Canada. But that's not true for all for all athletes and for all foreign student athletes. Many of them aren't making. Upwards of a million dollars. Instead, they're passing on like what you'll see for many, many teams where it's just a couple thousand, maybe 10, 20 thousand whatever, but it's not enough to where a flight home really makes sense to to accept this money to make this deal happen. And and they're gonna have to pass on the same deals that are being offered to their domestic student counterparts, just because there's no no way that no practical way they can make it happen.
0: Gabriel, if you look around the professional leagues these days, particularly, let's talk about the NBA where Zach Eady will be in a few months. You know, you're looking at some of the best players in the world, certainly some of the top six or seven in the MVP race in the NBA this year. Guys like Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Shea gilgis Alexander, who I mentioned, Luka Doncic, who scored what the fourth highest, third, third, fourth highest total in NBA history a few days ago, 73 points. You're seeing players who were born outside of the U.S. in light of that, and the fact that I think I saw the statistic being that nearly 13% of all athletes in D1 are international, including seventy percent who play basketball, right? We've seen um, expansion all over the world, particularly uh, in Africa. Lots of great players these days coming out of Africa. Do you think the NCAA will have to adapt their rules to accommodate this expansion we're, see- we're seeing um, internationally?
1: You know, so this is this is something that's wonderful about the sporting field here in the United States is that we we in a lot of ways bring the best product in certain sports to the world. The NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball these are the highest it can get. You're seeing it in NCAA's; it's the next the next level there, and players from around the world want to be here. And I think as a country, we don't want to disincentivize players from playing in the United States. We we want to welcome them here. We want the best possible product, both in the NBA but also here in, in, in the NCAA as well. Um, I'm sure you're aware that the the leagues in Europe, where we've seen seen international players get their start before before moving to the NBA, there that'd be very very tempting for many of these players to where they could go and they could play and for you know the Barcelona Barcelona basketball team or Real Madrid. Um, and get paid to do that, or they could come here, attend a university for one or two years, but be limited because of this uh, F1 process that to not be able to accept money to do so, they might be choosing Europe next time instead of choosing the United States. And I think we should have a system that encourages them to be here and encourages uh, universities to welcome them. I think you bring up the NCAA. I think the NCAA, you know, it's not really their place to, to make these changes. We have to look, to, to U.S. immigration agencies, particularly the Department of Homeland Security, to provide additional guidance. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if uh, you're aware of this, but um, a colleague, me and a colleague of mine uh, this last spring actually gathered universities from around, around the country, uh, memberships, uh, members from their compliance department, from the SEC, from the Big Ten, some of the biggest athletic programs in the country just to talk about this issue. What were they seeing? What's going on? And the one thing all of them could agree upon is they just want clarity. They don't they're they're, they're operating in a system where they, they have to look at what other universities are doing and hoping that they're the same, but also trying to talk with you know their immigration council and figure out what 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 to do based off of that. But because there's no clarity, because there's there's no, no real enforcement of what's going on. Right, they're hearing from their players. Hey, I could get a in Nebraska. They're allowing me to take this deal. Or hey, at, at the University of Washington, I could I could I could accept this money. So why can't I do it here? I'm going to leave and go to some university to where I can't. And you're going to see uh, you know universities compete with each other in an area that's supposed to be compliance. Right? They're supposed to, they're supposed to be finding ways uh, to to follow the rules. And if anything, they're encouraged now to to take take more risk in order to keep those players. Uh, and and have them competing for the next season. Gabriel, to that point, and speaking of the need for uniformity, in
0: October, uh, there was a bipartisan bill uh, by the senator from Nebraska, Pete Ricketts, and Richard Blumenthal out of Connecticut Democrat uh, to amend immigration laws to an- allow international students to have an a- in a NIL deals in the U.S. Uh, there's also another piece of legislation that was a wider bill in the House and Senate addressing these laws. Do you think that those stand a chance of success and are a means to remedy some of the inequities and
1: uh, different applications of these laws that you've talked about? You know, generally I'm an, I'm an optimist by nature and I, and I see see hope in these bills. I see that there's there's an opportunity for bipartisanship, especially when college basketball does play a big factor into to changing these rules for, for NIL, foreign student-athletes. So you'll see certain certain states in play, like Indiana, Kentucky, um, that, 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 are, that are definitely going to join into this. But the further reaches of this, I mean, NIL is not limited to just basketball, or foreign student-athletes don't only play college basketball. You're seeing a growing number of them in, in college football, of course, baseball, track and field. They're, they're all over these sports. And so you'll see uh, major athletic programs and push their state representative. That being said, uh, Rich, I'm, I, I practice immigration. Uh, I, I've learned not to get my hopes up about congressional change in our field. I know, I, I, I know that I'd love to see it and I'd hope to see it, but I just, when it comes to immigration, I, I think no matter what the what the bill is or the support and how whatever field it, uh, it affects, I think it's a real an uphill battle when it comes to to D.C. And I I, I hope I'm wrong, but I I wouldn't get my hopes up about any bill in the house or the senate.
0: Immigration attorney, Gabriel Castro of BAL. He's a senior associate, heads up the LA office. The website is BAL.com. Gabriel, thank you so much for joining us on the Pod, and please come back and update us on this very interesting issue as it progresses. Absolutely, Rich. Thanks for having me.
1: Ideas, strategies, and opinions represented on this podcast are those of the speakers and do not represent the ideas, strategies, and opinions of their employers.